The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you willing to die for your beliefs? Seriously. You willing to watch your wife die? Your husband? Your parents? Your children? Willing to see them tortured and killed because you refuse to succumb to the demands of an insane and violent, tyrannical dictatorship? That was the situation many Germans in the mid-1930s found themselves in. And the pressure to conform increased year after year until suddenly it was virtually impossible to resist. It's easy to look back and say uh, you'd stand up for the Jewish people. Easy to say that you wouldn't look the other way when human beings were rounded up like cattle to be slaughtered and taken to concentration camps. But eventually, it became apparent during the 1930s that to stand up to Hitler, regardless of your social or even political status, resulted in your complete and total destruction. By the time most people realized how dangerous he truly was, he'd solidified his stranglehold on Germany and then Europe soon after that. But during the infancy of his rise to power and the ascent of the Nazi party in general, could he have been stopped? When he's ranting and raving in little beer halls in Germany in the 20s? A minor player in a new minor political party? Would you have stopped him then? Or would you, as, as, as most Germans, you know, who, who disagreed with him or saw him then, just ignored him? Could he have been stopped? Sure, hindsight's twenty twenty. He could have been stopped pretty easily back in the mid-20s, you know, even in the late 1920s. He could have been stopped in the mid-1930s by other countries who knew what he was up to, countries like America, so why do we wait? Why did so many people have to die before we stepped in? Well, as is usually the case, uh, it's fucking complicated. And now, what's done is done, long since done. We can't go back to 1925 and shut Hitler down, but we can learn from what he did, how he got to the place where he was able to do what he did, the warning signs, the red flags, they were all there for those who chose to pay attention. And we can study them so we can uh, recognize new warning signs as they show up. Other bloodthirsty, dangerously ambitious zealots will come along. They always do. History does truly repeat itself. Now, you know, the words Hitler and Nazi get thrown around a lot these days. Uh, during my adult lifetime, every new president, every time they take office, I have to listen to the comparisons to Hitler. 
You know, he's, he's trying to disarm the general population. That's, just, that's like Hitler. That's like the Nazis. He's trying to control the media. That's, that's Hitler. That's just like Hitler. The police had no right to trespass on that guy's property. They just, they just went up there like a, like a Gestapo, just like a, like a bunch of Nazis. Now, maybe I've heard this kind of stuff so much because I'm from northern Idaho, uh, where belief that the government is out to get you and take away your freedom and fundamental rights is as ingrained in the local culture, for some reason, uh, as firmly as the desire to fish and camp and hunt. I have, uh, and, and just have no contact with the outside world whatsoever, if possible. I don't know why that is, but it does seem to be the case. I was, uh, I was excused from class in high school to go to a militia meeting one time. Didn't realize how fucking weird that was until later in life. I also was uh, told by one of my uh, teachers in high school that the, as he told the class, he told the whole class that the best uh, investment any of us could make was to buy a bunch of guns, as many as we could get, and bury them in our yard because they're coming to take them. Well, that was 20 years ago. They still haven't fucking taken them. Uh, but anyway, I decided to do some research, find out how one of the worst dictators in the world's history and his political party came to be. Like, we all know what the Nazis eventually did. All right, but how did they put themselves into a position to do it? The rise of the Third Reich, explored and explained in what is so far the most interesting and I think important episode of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Welcome to Time Suck, everybody. Hope this uh, makes the beginning of your week a little brighter, even though the subject today could hardly be darker. Uh, dark week on Time Suck. First, H.H. Holmes, now Hitler. Fuck, Jesus. Might as well spend my weekend trying to conjure up a demon. Maybe stomp some puppies to death. Just see how much evil I can cram into one week. Gonna have to change it up next week for sure. Maybe talk about unicorns or pixies. Maybe some candles that smell like fresh laundry. Maybe, maybe chocolate chip cookies with little, little walnut chunks in them. Or not. That sounds terribly boring. Maybe just palate cleanse with some Enya, a little, little Brandy Carlisle. I love me some Brandy Carlisle. She pops up on the new Old 97's album, Graveyard Whistling. If you're into a little alt country, I just pick that up and, uh, and I enjoy it. Uh, thanks again for all the kind words emailed to me via timesuckpodcast.com. Uh, a lot of you uh, uh, send a lot of stuff that says, you know, you make me look forward to Mondays. A lot of uh, love this podcast. A lot of keep up the good work. Also, a lot of keep sucking, keep sucking, love it. I love how much you time suckers suck. I love sucking you guys. So much suck, you guys. So much deep, hard sucking going on. And I like how many of you uh, tell me that you're spreading the suck, getting friends and coworkers to listen, subscribe, and rate the podcast, get them to go down the rabbit hole of random knowledge. A lot of messages about how fun it is to learn all this stuff, too. That feels good. Man, it does feel good, right? If only teachers were allowed to be a little irreverent. But no, they got... They say the words I say, and, you know, some cunt of a parent, and I'm not necessarily referring to a woman uh, there, has to file a complaint. He, he said shit. He, he said fuck. No interest in the context in which it was said. Adults can be so silly, right? Get so worked up and offended over a few silly words, over semantics. I think teachers should be allowed to curse sometimes. I do. Not constantly, you know? Classroom shouldn't be like an episode of Def Jam, you know, something like that, but uh, not, not every other word. You know, but maybe, maybe like two fucks a day. Maybe, maybe three or four shits, all right? Maybe like one, one cunt a quarter. You get, you get one cunt a quarter. You can drop it at a PTA meeting if you want, if you save it. You know, some outraged parent. How dare you call me a cunt? Listen, listen, dude, I've been saving that word since last semester, and I knew I'd use it on you. Your kid's a dick. You clearly don't help him with his homework. He flips me off. Whenever I face a chalkboard, I can see his reflection. 
In the mirror, he single-handedly making the entire class dumber with his constant disruptions, and I'm pretty sure he upper-decked the teacher's lounge toilet. But I'm getting off topic. What I meant to say is that it feels good to have a deeper understanding of things I was only vaguely familiar with before and talk about those subjects with an audience of like-minded people. You guys, I love it. Like, uh, in my life, Houdini got, uh, Houdini got brought up last week, conversation, because this uh, old friend of mine, this comic Robert Hawkins, very funny dude, he's into magic all of a sudden, he's into short, shorthand magic, or close-up magic, I don't know, whatever the hell it's called, card tricks, you know, and, uh, and so I bring up, bring up Houdini, he's talking about Houdini, and I knew so much, I was like the goddamn rain man of Houdini trivia, it made me feel good, I love having interesting conversations about interesting stuff, you want, you want to talk about the weather, you want, you want to talk about, you know, the, how rainy it's going to be tomorrow? Shut the fuck up. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about space lizards. I want to talk about flat earth idiots. I want to talk about Billy the Kid. Right now, I'm going to talk about Hitler. Let's get interesting. Uh, thanks to Time Sucker, Jake Stith, for recommending the book In the Garden of Beasts, Love, Terror, and an American Family in Hitler's Berlin by Eric Larson via Time Suck email for this week's episode. I read the whole thing. Uh, it was a huge help. Gave me a much deeper understanding of 1930s Germany. Uh, Eric Larson, by the way, also wrote Devil in the White City, a book about Monday's topic, H.H. Uh, H. Holmes. It's like, it's like Eric Larson week here at Time Suck. N- not even intentional at all. So Eric Larson, if you happen to be listening, you totally suck. Thank you for that. Uh, okay, so now before I dig into some Third Reich, I got to fess up to a mistake I made, uh, a couple of them, my last two episodes. Drawn to my attention in some Time Sucker updates. Updates? Get your time, sucker updates. If you listen to the Billy the Kid or the H.H. Holmes episode, you know that a lot of people ended up getting hung, uh, which is not a thing. It's not the right word in that situation. When referring to an object that has been placed on a wall, for, uh, for example, you know, you say hung. Like, uh, I like how you've hung that picture above the fireplace. What you don't say is H.H. Holmes was sentenced to death and then hung unless you're an idiot like me. No, the past tense of hang, when it comes to killing a person, is actually hanged. H.H. Holmes was hanged. Billy the Kid was sentenced to be hanged, not sentenced to be hung. Fucking English language, man. Two different past tense versions of the same word. How do I know that? Uh, Well, I have a time sucker to thank. I got an email from uh, Emperor of the Dark Galaxy. That's what what name shows up. You guys have the best, weirdest names. Subject is, you really need a dictionary, dude. The body of the message says, I may not have graduated from Gonzaga, but I did change my major from theology to pussy and beer and then subsequently fail out of a backwoods Kansas university. Even with my dubious education, I know that the past tense of hang is hanged when speaking of a person being suspended by the neck with rope until dead. Here come the spoons, motherfucker. That's so great. Thank you, Emperor. Thank you, Emperor of the Dark Galaxy. I got to get a better email handle. Man, mine is just, mine is my, just a boring old name. Uh, also, fact check on episode 13, The Dead Do Tell Tales. I referenced The Princess Bride as being directed by Mel Brooks, which is not true. Uh, the Princess Bride is directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, I, you know, I think I, I should have I fact checked this, this fact. No, I, I did actually. It is. It is. Uh, Mel Brooks uh, did have a close friendship with Rob Reiner and cast Carrie Ools in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. This would explain many of the similarities that may be confusing. Shows how much I pay attention to directors. And by the way, that uh, came in uh, from Mary Zellner from via the Time Suck message board. Saw a couple of posts there, Mary. Thank you for being involved. And, uh, and I will work on referencing directors properly in the future. As you wish. And that uh, is this week's Time Sucker Updates. 
Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. All right, let's do this. Let's do some Hitler. Let's do some Germany. Let's get into some Deutschland. To understand the seeds of Germany's involvement in World War II and to grasp why the Nazi Party was ever allowed to get going in the first place, you got to look at pre-World War I Germany. World War I itself and its immediate aftermath. So first off, pre-World War II, uh, Germans fucking love to go to war. Holy shit, do they love it. Just constantly fighting, like so much war. Germanic chieftain-led tribes stopped the spread of the Roman Empire into northern Europe by defeating the Roman expansion in a series of battles that started way back in 6 BC. And I'm sure they were fighting with each other before that. Uh, Germans uh, were a huge thorn in the, in the old Roman Empire. Those ba- barbarians, man, they just, couldn't, they just couldn't crack them. Roman Emperor Augustus eventually established a chain of bases on the Lip and uh, Visser rivers between 6 BC and 4 AD. And after getting his ass kicked in a series of battles, the Romans went from pushing further into Germania to just trying to keep the Germans from coming down and sacking Rome for like the next 400 years. They were a, they were a huge problem. And, uh, and then beginning in the 5th century, various German tribes would make alliances with Romans to fight off the Huns. You may have heard of them. Good old Attila and his, his crew. Uh, they'd spill into France uh, as a kingdom under King Clovis in the 6th century, making modern France their headquarters. Making modern France their bitch. Uh, much of French culture originated from German culture, like the Franks, right? The French, the Franks, the French, pretty similar. Uh, the Vandal tribe of Germans fought their way into Spain and North Africa in the 5th century. The Visigoths, that tribe of Germans, uh, they took over uh, the area that is now southwestern France from the 5th to the 8th centuries. Various Germanic kings and kingdoms controlled uh, most of Europe for centuries. King, King Charlemagne, uh, he was German, took over pretty much all of Europe in the 8th century. He became the first Holy Roman Emperor and the first emperor recognized in Western Europe since the fall of the original Roman Empire three centuries earlier. And when he was crowned emperor by Pope Leo III in Rome on Christmas Day 800, he kicked off a period of history Germans later referred to as the First Reich. Reich meaning regime or empire. I didn't know that. Did not know that. King Frederick I uh, ruled most of Europe in the 12th century during the First Reich. Uh, King Frederick II turned the Germanic state of Prussia into one of the Europe's greatest military powers in the 18th century. And there were many battles. And, you know, there were high points. There were low points in between, you know, all the high points, every century in between. And uh, the First Reich lasted until August 6th, 1806, uh, when Emperor Francis II abdicated the throne. So Germans, man, they got, they got battle in their blood. Partly due to geography. You're in, the, you're in the center of northern Europe. You're surrounded by so many other ancient civilizations and cultures trying to make their mark on history. You got the Huns and Ottomans and Russians and other empires, you know, to, to the east. You got the goddamn Vikings up north above you, you know, trying to rape and pillage all the time. You got the, the Brits, other pesky French and Spanish kingdoms to the west. You got the Romans, whole mess of other kingdoms throughout the years to the south. I mean, you're quite literally being attacked on all sides. You got you to be scrappy. You got to be scrappy to survive. All this fighting, by the way, is what led to European countries dominating the world throughout colonization. Uh, there's a great book. I'm just off the top of my head right now. It's like Guns, Germs, and Steel. I cannot remember the author, but if you Google it, you figure it out. It's just about like why Europeans colonized other, other places. And a lot of it is because fuck, constant fighting. They had to develop their warfare skills. Unlike some uh, you know, Polynesian little fishing tribe in Tonga, that's tropical paradise. You know, There's no need for in- industrialization there. You know, you don't got to fucking find food to last you through the winter. You got fish. You got sweet-ass fish year-round. You know, in my mind, you can just wait out and fucking whistle for them, and they just swim over to you. That's how beautiful it is there. You just go, get over here, fish. Hey, hey, fish, come here. 
And the fish are like, oh, yeah, that's no, that's no problem. Mm-mm-mm. And they, they don't even care. They sing while you eat them. You know, you're just fed by beautiful maidens. It's, what they, it's just what they want to do. That's, just, that's what life is there in Tonga. It's a tropical paradise, you guys. You know, they're just, you just sleep under palm trees. Maybe, maybe you just, you know, you bend down a little palm tree and grab yourself a little, little coconut. Throw, throw a straw. You made out of some twigs. Maybe a bird dropped it off for you. Bird was like, I'll get that. I'll grab it. You want, you want a different size twig? He just flies up and he just drops a little, little, little twig for you to use it for your coconut. It's, it's beautiful there. Uh, but yeah, there was like, no, there's no need for complex structures to keep, the, keep warm in the winter. No need for horses and cattle. Get, get fish. You have so many fish. Probably got pigs too. I don't know if that. I don't know if that's true. You got something. You got a wounded birds. I don't know. You can get some other kind of meat. You don't even need meat. Fish is fine. You can have fish. You can have coconuts. And you can have whatever the hell, the hell else they got there. But I know they got stuff. I do know that. Life's good. You know, you're not constantly fighting off people from 20 other nearby islands who want to wipe you off the fucking face of the earth. Germans and Spaniards and Brits, you know, they show up in a boat. It's like Mike Tyson in his prime. Showing up to spar with a five-year-old who just put on boxing gloves for the first time. That's why all those islanders didn't stand a chance. Uh, anyway, in a hard-fighting area of the world, the Germans are some of the toughest motherfuckers there are. Well, the Germany Hitler was born into in 1889... 1889, was shaped by the Franco-Prussian War of 1870 and 1871, when a coalition of German states led by Prussia and Prussian Chancellor Otto von Bismarck uh, defeated Napoleon, I've heard of him, and the French. Prussia had just got done beating Austria in 1866. After the French surrendered in Paris on January 28, 1871, King William I of Prussia was proclaimed the new German emperor at the Palace of Versailles former palace of the kings of France. It was a great day in Versailles for the Germans, the beginning of the Second Reich, which would last until the end of the First World War when the Germans would have a super shitty day in Versailles. Uh, prior to 1871, uh, after the end of the First Reich in 1806, Germany was uh, a little collection of 25 German-speaking states, city-states, duchies, sandwiched between France, Russia, and the North Sea coast. So, you know, they had a little, little period of being kind of disorganized, and now they're back. Now they're back. They're back into the Second Reich, the Second Realm, you know? Okay, so the Franco-Prussian War, that sowed the seeds for World War I. You know, to the victor go the spoils, and the Germans took the roughly 5,000-square-mile area known as uh, Alsace-Lorraine in the war. You know, it's kind of like part of the Rhineland, referred to by Germans later. It's a little territory near present-day Luxembourg, in between France and Germany, and uh, and the French never forgot about it. You know, not happy to say goodbye to some of their homeland. You know, it's like if Mexico took de- Texas last year. A lot of Americans would still be irritated. Uh, a lot would also be happy because uh, Texas, uh, Texans annoy a lot of people. You know, it's very polarizing. Some people can't stand Texans. But you get the idea, you know. You'd be like, but I wanted to watch the Dallas Cowboys this season. And they'd be like, well, tough, tough shit. Now they're the, the, now they're the Dallas Vaqueros. And they, and they kick around a soccer ball. And then you'd be like, I fucking hate soccer. Just two hours of nothing happening with 30 seconds of highlights thrown in. You get like one good kick every fucking five games. And they're like, well, we like it because we're fucking insane. And because we started watching it a long time ago before better sports like American football were invented. So tough shit. And by the way, no more hot dogs, no more cheeseburgers. Now, uh, it's burritos and churros. How you like that? And you'd be like, well, I, actually, I do like that. I get those, actually, actually, that's probably better food than the burgers and the hot dogs. That, that part's cool. I like that part. Okay, I'm not sure what I'm talking about anymore. That analogy uh, got away from me there at the end. But for the next four and a half decades, a very unstable peace exists between France, uh, who, who had never stopped wanting their land back, and Germany, 
because uh, they have the same imperialistic ambitions they've had off and on for centuries. That's what they do. They go fucking conquer stuff. And I know this is a lot of backstory, but I really think it helps contextualize 1930s Germany. Let's talk about a little economy. The economy does well during Germany's late 19th century unification. Domestically, uh, Germany is now riding this economic and technological boom for most of the late 1800s. You know, because the unification of Germany boosts uh, industrial growth and railway construction. No more little separate German independent countries. You don't work together anymore. Uh-uh. One big Germany now. Uh-huh. Going to keep it like the Kaiser. Right? Coal production, iron ore mining, foreign investment all spiked during the mid-19th century. The government adopts uh, policies to encourage industrial growth. Unification uh, removes the border tariffs and trade duties, uh, which existed before 1871. German banks are forming, growing quickly providing credit and investment opportunities for new ventures. Uh, with its large and rapidly growing population, 40 million in 1880, 58.5 million by 1910, a lot of doing it, uh, Germany was able to meet the labor needs of industrialization. By 1900, German steel production exceeded Britain's and was second only to the United States and the entire world, making that German steel money. The economy, the economy itself is hard as steel. And then as they get stronger, they get cockier, as countries often do. You know, now there's that, still that tension with France, who they wouldn't mind slapping around again. You know, maybe take a little more of that old Ger Germanic King Charlemagne soil back. You know, and increase, and they're getting a little, you know, tense with Russia to the east, fucking Ruskies, always irritating someone in Europe. Okay, so cut to June 1914. Adolf Hitler is 25 years old, living in Munich, uh, enlisted in the Bavarian army. Uh, Adolf was actually born in Austria-Hungary in 1889, had tried to enlist in the Austrian army in 1913, didn't pass his physical. Because he was a tiny little wimp of a man with the creepy mustache. Yeah, he was, but that's, yeah, that's probably not why. I don't, I don't think the mustache got him canned. He just didn't pass physical. Uh, he was kind of a wimpy dude looking dude, though. You know, he's like around 5'9 and unathletic, 155 pounds. Uh, he likely got into the Bavarian army as an administrative error since he should have been sent back to Austria as he was not, you know, a citizen. Now, if you're confused as to why in Austria would want to even fight for the Germans, remember that the Germanic people were spread out over many Germanic tribes throughout central, north, and west Germany. Ancestry-wise, portions of France, Poland, Austria, Czechoslovakia, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Denmark, Belgium, etc., had huge, if not predominantly Germanic populations heritage-wise, a.k.a. Aryan. Uh, the Scandinavian countries as well have Germanic roots, the Goths, you know, the Burgund Burgundians, the Vandals, early Germanic peoples uh, settled all those countries. The English and Scandinavian languages have Germanic roots. Remember the 25 different municipalities I referenced earlier prior to 1871. Lots of Germanic people, but very fragmented. Also, municipality... Uh, God, I can't even say it. <laughs> Municipalities is our fancy pants word of the day. Fancy pants word of the day. Municipalities, plural noun of municipality. A primarily political unit having powers of self-government or the governing body of a municipality. For example, the municipality approved the new budget for the coming year. There will be plenty of money for donuts for Big Ted, money to build a new statue of a giant otter in the park to celebrate the extremely costly preservation of three local otters, money to redesign several government buildings that should have been designed properly the first time, and no money whatsoever for local schools. To cover the upcoming local school budget, the municipality's homeless shelter will be sold to a wealthy local citizen who plans on kicking out all those lazy hobos and converting it into a modern art gallery full of pretentious, overpriced horseshit. So there you go, municipalities. 
And throughout all those little municipalities and cities and states in the 19th century, there have been various movements and cries for a unification based on language, culture, race, and power. Reclaim the military dominance that the Germanic people had previously tasted. The dominance Germans had experienced under the First Reich. You know, Hitler himself had heard tons of pro-Aryan let's unite as Germans again speeches growing up in Austria. Uh, He was also exposed to a fair amount of anti-Semitic views there. That was always, you know, one of the byproducts of the pro-Aryan movement. And all this plays into Hitler's idea of racial purity and a unified German people, you know, unify them throughout Europe, which we'll get into soon. So Hitler fights for Germany in World War I on the Western Front, where he is injured twice and where he'll receive the Iron Cross First Class for bravery in battle. But how did World War I begin? How did Germany get involved with World War I? Uh, well, the simplest answer uh, is the, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, Archduke of Austria-Hungary by way of a Serbian nationalist. He's killed on June 28, 1914, and that same day, Austria-Hungary uh, decides they don't like it, that, that, that one of their guys has been killed, one of their, one of their little prince guys, um, or archdukes, and they declare war on Serbia. A few days later, on August 2nd, 1941, the Ottoman Empire, a.k.a. Turkey, signs a secret treaty of alliance with Germany. Now, Germany already has an alliance with Austria-Hungary, who's attacking Serbia. And then Germany decides, you know, fuck it, we're going to attack some people too. They still hate the French, and the next day, Germany just declares war on France. And the day after that, August 4th, 1914, Germany invades Belgium, leading Britain to declare war on Germany. Less than a week later, on August 10th, Austria-Hungary invades Russia. Shit is on like Donkey Kong. Eventually, 70 million military personnel would be involved in the epic European war that would claim the lives of over 16 million people. Now, how did that domino effect I just described happen? And how did it lead you know, to all these other countries fighting throughout Europe? Well, uh, it's because earlier in 1914, the major powers of Europe had settled into two major groups. Britain, France, and Russia formed the Triple Entente, who would become known as the Allies, while Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Italy comprised the Triple Alliance, known as the Central Powers. And a lot of historians feel like Germany was just waiting for an excuse to use their new kind of unified allied might to reclaim the glory of the First Reich. They wanted Europe, you know, at least all of Europe uh, of Germanic origin under their rule. But it didn't work out well for them in the end. Uh, a time suck needs to be done someday on just World War I alone. Maybe several time sucks to really explore that war, its causes, effects, battles, all that kind of stuff. I've, I've given a very, very simplified version here to kind of stay on task with this episode. So initially, the Germans do well in the war. Uh, They defeat Russia in 1917. Uh, When the Russian government collapses in March, they sign a treaty of surrender, conceding a lot of land to Germany and removing themselves from further battle. But then the Germans, you know, they try to push uh, the war further on the Western Front, fighting a war on two fronts, killed them in both world wars. Never fight a war on two fronts unless you're America and you can beat the Japanese to the West and the Germans to the East. Fucking pow! USA! We have kicked some serious ass in the past. Uh, no denying our military might. Not that I had shit to do with any of it. I just I feel like whenever I say something like that, I have to say it super enthusiastically. Uh, the German Central Powers, uh, their forces, push west all the way to the, to the Marne River in France, not far from Paris, but then the Allies in the 100 Days Offensive in 1918, they push Germany the fuck back out of France to the Hindenburg Line until the Germans surrender and sign the Treaty of Versailles. Now, this Treaty of Versailles directly led, in my opinion, to what happened in Germany during the 1930s, uh, and then eventually led to World War II. There was an article in this treaty, uh, which the Germans signed under a little duress. They just got their ass kicked. You know, they're not in a good place to negotiate. And basically, this Article 31 uh, in the treaty blames Germany, and and kind of only Germany, for the war. 
I don't know how Austria-Hungary, you know, snuck out of it, but it said that the Allied and Associated, this is a quote, the Allied and Associated governments affirm and Germany accepts the responsibility of Germany and her allies for causing all the loss and damage to which the Allied and Associated governments and their nationals have been subjected as a consequence of the war imposed upon them by the aggression of Germany and her allies. So for some reason, yeah, Germany, they just get all of the blame. And this treaty forces Germany to disarm, uh, make substantial territorial concessions, pay reparations to certain countries that had formed the uh, Entente powers. In 1921, the total cost of these reparations was assessed at 132 billion marks. That was then 31.4 billion, uh, roughly equivalent to $442 billion in today's U.S. money. At the time, economists, notably John Maynard Keynes, one of the most important economists of all time, predicted that the treaty was too harsh. And that's not good, man. You push a wounded animal into a corner, a prideful wounded animal, and it might lash back out. You know, especially a big, scary, war-hardened animal like Germany. So now, uh, Hitler and many Germans are living in a recently defeated Germany who has uh, seen its economy grind to a halt in the war's aftermath. The Second Reich has come to a very abrupt end. Their new nation is saddled with enormous debt, stripped of military strength, forced to disarm, and the Germans are pissed. You know, many of them uh, didn't feel that Germany should be responsible for the whole war. And then to add a little salt to the wound, in 1921, when Germany can't, you know, make good on some of its payments, uh, France and Belgium, they, uh, some French and Belgian troops, they, they come over, occupy the Ruhr, and just take some goods and raw materials. They're just like, all right, we're just going to repossess some shit then. We're just going to take some of your stuff. During the 1923, or excuse me, during 1923, Germany got uh, desperate enough to print more money to pay striking workers and try to save their economy. And then hyperinflation results wipes out the value of Germany's, uh, you know, citizen savings. You know, shit was rough. It was despondency in Deutschland. Well, then, in the beginning of 1924, American banks and investors see an opportunity to make some money as America's economy is kicking ass. You know, they can loan Germany some money to get back on their feet, you know, with some high-interest loans, give them an economic resurgence, you know, you know make, some, make some of that profit back later, right? No, nope, they're not going to do that because now the U.S. stock market crashes in 1929. So now the money stops pouring into Germany, and even worse... Uh, when U.S. banks want their loans repaid, the ripple effect of the stock market crash has caused Germany's propped-up uh, economy to tank again because they weren't, like, living within their budget. They were just getting that influx of foreign money. Sounds familiar, right? Kind of like the U.S. And uh, it does make me fucking nervous. Like, if the World Bank ever wanted to demand repayment from us, I don't even, I don't even know what would happen. Uh, national debt, our national debt, another good time stuff to get into. So much shit to suck on out there. So anyway, so, uh, you know, Germany's economy, you know, just falls back into shambles. So let's, so let's recap real quick. I got a lot of info flying at you on this one. The Germans are a very proud and storied race of people who are well aware of their history of kicking most of Europe's ass often thoroughly and hard for centuries. The Romans couldn't defeat them in the first few centuries of the A.D. era. They virtually owned Europe during the First Reich. Uh, when the German king Charlemagne became emperor of the Holy Roman Empire in the 8th century, King Frederick I ruled much of Europe in the 12th century. King Frederick II turned the German kingdom of Prussia into one of the greatest powers of Europe in the 18th century. Various other kingdoms rule, and the Germans are constantly deteriorating back into little regional kingdoms in between all these high points. But overall, done very, very well. Uh, Prussian Chancellor Otto von Bismarck unifies Germany under Prussia, kicks some ass in the Franco-Prussian War of 1870 and 1871 ushering in the prosperous period of the Second Reich. And now, after seeing the Second Reich end to defeat, the proud German people are beholden to the rival French. Their military has been gutted, and thanks to the enormous debt it was saddled with in the Treaty of Versailles and the U.S. economy uh, stock market crash, uh, they're in economic just despair. And they don't think the war was their fault. 
You know, that big old European ass-kicking boot is now stuck so far up their asses that they can reach into their mouths to tie the laces. And they don't like the way that feels, and they're not used to it. And so what often happens when someone is having a hard time in life, someone who was once prosperous? You know, they find somebody to blame for their recent troubles, right? It's not my fault I'm suddenly poor. It's the government. It's the man holding me down. It's not, it's not my fault I can't get a job. It's, uh, goddamn Mexicans are taking all our jobs. It's not my fault everything's been outsourced to India. They're, they're getting our jobs. It's the, it's the Asians. They're the ones buying up all of our land, driving the prices up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And countries can be like people. You know, like a national personification of individual feelings and attitudes. And Germany, they wanted somebody to blame for all these recent troubles. And then Hitler came along, and he handed them the European Jews. Now, uh, anti-Semitism was not like Hitler's novel idea in Germany, or Europe at all in the 30s. Uh, there was very, very, very deep roots of anti-Semitic feelings over in Europe. During the Black Plague of the 14th and 15th uh, century Europe, for example, when that horrible disease killed anywhere from 30 to 70% of various European populations, uh, the Jews ended up getting blamed. They began getting blamed for a long fucking time. Uh, there was rumors that they were poisoning city wells, trying to kill all the Christians. And then so now these, uh, these pogroms, uh, these organized massacres uh, of the Jews took place. A few hundred Jewish communities are annihilated. Over 2,000 Jews were burned in Strasbourg, Germany on Valentine's Day, 1349, for example. Holy Christ, I thought, uh, I thought Capone's St. Valentine's Day massacre was, was bad. That's time step 22. Why were they blamed? I'm speculating a little bit here, all right? But I, uh, I think for the same reason that they were killed during the Crusades of the 11th century in Europe, because they weren't Christian. And again, it seems like I'm always picking on Christianity, but I'm not, I'm not trying to. But history is what it is, right? It's just, it's there. I can't ignore it. Most of AD uh, European history is completely intertwined and founded on, you know, a, a lot of Christian ideals and Christianity itself. You know, the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, the Pope, Martin Luther. And what did Christians uh, want to do to people who weren't Christians? Convert them. And when those people didn't want to be converted, uh, they generally weren't treated well. <laughs> you know, read a little bit about Native Americans when colonization began to, to see how that worked out. Check out the uh, Crusades. Another time suck. I got to do one of these days. God damn it, there's so many. And the Jews, you know, they didn't want to be converted because they already had a religion. And not only did they have a religion, they had a religion tied very closely to the religion that didn't care for them, right? The Torah, the Jewish Bible, is the first five books of the Christian Bible in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Christianity and Judaism are very closely related, and also, this is important, very opposed. Huge difference in the two that historically has not worked out at all for Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people believe that God will send a Messiah uh, to deliver uh, you know, them from evil, as predicted by God in the Old Testament slash Torah. Christians believe that the Messiah already came, that he was Jesus. And essentially, uh, Jews don't buy uh, Jesus. They don't believe that he was the right dude. So the Jewish faith, without trying to be confrontational, inherently thinks Christianity is built upon a false prophet. Now, I'm sure some rabbis and priests might uh, word all this very differently, but come on, let's cut the bullshit. You're not going to love the guys who think you made the wrong fucking call when it, comes, when it comes to your soul and salvation. Common sense will just tell you that. And unfortunately for the Jews, Christians became way more prevalent and powerful than they did in Europe. So you have this cultural minority who believe that the religion of the cultural majority is terribly misguided. I mean, there's no other way to put it. That obviously is going to lead to a lot of fucking tension, you know? And, uh, and add to that, the Christians believe various Jewish leaders were the ones back in the day who helped the Romans kill Christ, that the Jewish people killed your Messiah. You're going to have some friction. Man, 
Now, to a secular, non-religious person, uh, this is also silly. Now, now, if you're religious, just bear, me, bear with me for a moment and allow yourself to imagine the possibility that there is no Christian or Jewish God. Just think for a second about all the dumb shit that has been done, done in the name of something nobody can prove is real. To me, all of these old religious beefs and wars are as silly and pointless as one group of people who think that blue is obviously the best color, killing another group of people because they think that red is the better color. It's fucking ludicrous. It's like people who believe in unicorns killing other people for not believing in unicorns. Okay, so we're done with that. Now, uh, another thing that I think uh, really harmed uh, the Jewish people in, in, in Europe is this uh, social, identity, uh, God, social identity theory uh, of the us versus them mentality. Um, it's it's uh, Henry Toffel, a Polish psychologist who fought for the French against the Germans in World War II, uh, nearly escaped death due to his Jewish heritage. His greatest contribution to psychology, based partly upon his experience with the war and his witnessing of the Holocaust, is the us versus them theory, which I believe in very strongly. Uh, Toffel proposed in 1979 that the groups, uh, for example, social class, family, football team, which people belong to, were an important source of pride and self-esteem. Groups give us a sense of social identity, you know, a sense of belonging to the social world. And in order to increase our self-image, we enhance the status of our group. You know, for example, Americans uh, think America is the best country in the world. Why do many of us think that? Well, mostly because we live here. And people like to think the place they live in is the best. And then we can also increase our self-image by discriminating and holding prejudiced views against the out-group, those who are not part of our group. You know, for example, the fucking Syrians. Those Syrians, bunch of losers, all of them. Well, no, they're not. You know, there's some people that suck over there, just like there's some people that suck here, and a lot of people who just want to live their lives. Now, the central hypothesis of social identity theory is that group members of an in-group will seek to find negative aspects of an out-group, uh, again, enhancing their self-image. Prejudiced views between cultures may result in racism. And in its extreme forms, you know, racism may result in genocide, such as, you know, what occurred in Germany with the Jews. Uh, Teufel uh, proposed that stereotyping is based on a normal cognitive process, the tendency to group things together. In doing so, we tend to exaggerate, you know, A, the differences between groups, and B, the similarities of things in the same group. I do think that people do this all the time, you know? We rationalize negative behavior by a member of our group as some exception to the norm. You know, uh, the, you know, negative behavior by a member of another group is typical of that group, representative of that group. Like, for example, your friend, uh, some other, you know, member of your race or whatever drives poorly, you know, it's probably because they weren't paying attention. They were texting or something. But a member of another race drives poorly, it, you know, it can be viewed as, well, you know, all blanks are just shitty drivers. <laughs> I feel like those kind of thoughts are fairly human. People don't like to talk about them, but they go on all the time. And, uh, and this makes sense with the Jewish people in 1930s Germany. Compared to the large cultural majority of German Christians, Jews are different. They look uh, different physically, non-Aryan features. They go to a different church. They sometimes speak a different language. They sometimes go to a, a Hebrew school instead of a regular, you know, uh, whatever Christian school or, you know, secular school. You know, there's a cultural emphasis on education uh, in, a, in a lot of uh, Jewish culture, uh, at least perceived to be. Uh, they're perceived to have better jobs than the average Aryan, doctors, lawyers, dentists, etc. And, uh, and there weren't that many of them. According to the census of June 16, 1933, the Jewish population of Germany was approximately 505,000 people out of a total population of 67 million. That's somewhat less than, you know, 0.75%. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's easy to blame and pick on a group of outsiders when they represent less than 1% of the total population. And that's exactly what Hitler did. Now, Hitler, as I stated, you know, earlier, he fought in World War I, and he was disappointed and outraged by Germany's surrender. 
uh, and signing that treaty. He felt that the country had been deceived into signing it and, and deceived into surrendering, betrayed by some civilian and Marxist forces. Just like some people uh, today believe that like some secret, secretive Illuminati-type group is pulling the strings, Hitler believed that some group had pulled the strings against Germany, and he came to believe that group was Jewish and communist. Fucking commies, you know? There was actually no evidence that the Jewish-German people were any more communist than the average Aryan-German person, but, you know, it made for good speeches. So after World War I, Hitler returns to Munich, and he continues to work for the military as an intelligence officer while monitoring the activities of the German Workers' Party, DAP, uh, as the acronym, uh, Hitler adopted many of the anti-Semitic nationalist and anti-Marxist ideas of the party founder, Anton Drexler. Hitler then joins the group, a group he's been monitoring since September 1919. How weird is that? It's like getting assigned by the FBI to monitor some Aryan nation gang and then thinking, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. These fellas are onto something. I mean, they, come on, I mean, you know, they, they throw a lot of kick-ass parties. A lot of blonde-haired, blue-eyed beauties, which I do enjoy, and they, and they got fucking cool boots. <laughs> All right, I'm into it. Uh, weird, yeah. So what really makes this extra interesting is that a lot of historians think Hitler was a quarter Jewish himself. His father, uh, Alois, is thought to have been the illegitimate offspring of a maid called Maria Schickelgruber and a 19-year-old Jewish man called Frankenberger. <laughs> Those are some fucking German names, if I have ever heard them. Schickelberger and Frankenberger. Uh, he wouldn't qualify as Aryan under the law, uh, laws he'd later pass. But when he was being a, uh, a hypocrite, uh, uh, oh, sorry, but when has being a hypocrite stopped a politician from preaching about some bullshit? Uh, sorry, that weird pause there was I, I wrote in that in my notes there, and for some reason, spell check, I must have fucking misspelled uh, hypocrite, and it changed it to Hippocratic. So I was thrown. I was like, what does the Hippocratic Oath have to do with any of this? Um, to increase its appeal, the DAP changed its name to the National Socialist German Workers' Party, often abbreviated to Nazi. Hitler personally designed the party banner, got to, got to use some of his old art school skills, appropriating the swastika symbol, placing it in a white circle on a red background. Uh, he soon gained notoriety for his vitriolic speeches against the Treaty of Versailles, rival politicians, Marxists, Jews, and then in 1921, he replaces Drexler as the Nazi chairman. Now, Hitler was an incredibly passionate and charismatic speecher, a speaker, and he gave uh, a nation of Aryans someone to blame for the problems, you know? A couple people, Marxists, Jews, especially Marxist Jews. I guess they were the worst, you know? And it was the fucking commies and the Jews who ruined the Second Reich. It was their meddling and conniving that destroyed Germany's destiny of prosperity. Make Germany great again. Make Germany great again. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. The correlation's too strong there. I mean, even, even if you're a Trump supporter, you have to at least admit there's a, there's a message similarity, you know? Give the poor and the struggling a simple solution to a context, complex problem. Something you can put on a bumper sticker or a netback hat. History shows this works time and time again. It's a tried and true method for political victory. So uh, Hitler's fervent beer hall speeches, he's, he's doing around the country now, begin attracting regular audiences. Early followers include Captain Ernest Rom, the uh, head of the Nazi paramilitary organization, the uh, crazy, crazy German word that is referred to in English as the stormtroopers, the SA, uh, which protected uh, meetings and frequently attacked political opponents. Now, on November 8th, 1923, Hitler and Rahm's uh, stormtroopers, they take it to the next level, and they storm a public meeting featuring Bavarian Prime Minister Gustav Kahr at a large beer hall uh, in Munich, the, the, the Beer Hall Push, uh, Hitler announced that the National Revolution had begun and declared the formation of a new government. Well, after a short struggle that led to several deaths, the coup failed. 
Hitler's arrested, tried for high treason. He serves nine months in prison, during which time he dictated most of the first volume of Mein Kampf, My Struggle, to his deputy, Rudolf Hess. A work of propaganda and falsehoods, the book laid out Hitler's plans for transforming German society into one based on race. And, uh, and since when do you get nine months for high treason? That's fucking crazy to me. Hitler himself would later punish those accused of treason against him with death, like quick death. Uh, if only that same punishment uh, had awaited him, maybe the Holocaust would have never happened. Well, when Hitler was released from prison, he got back to his fiery speeches with millions unemployed now. Remember, the economy's in shambles. The Great Depression in Germany uh, provides a political opportunity for Hitler to capitalize on. Germans are ambivalent to their new parliamentary republic. You know, they got a new, they got a new kind of a brand new government in place. And it's not doing well. You know, so they became you know, uh, increasingly open to extremist options to save their economy. Uh, in 1932, Hitler runs against 84-year-old Paul von Hindenburg for the presidency of Germany. Hitler came in second in both rounds of the election, garnering more than 36% of the vote in the final count. Now, the results established Hitler. He didn't win, but as a strong force in German politics. So strong that Hindenburg uh, reluctantly agrees to appoint him as chancellor in order to promote kind of political balance. Now, Americans often say the German people elected Hitler to power, but that's, that's not accurate. Actually, it was, a, it was a small clique of businessmen, estate owners, bankers, high-ranking civil servants, and army officers who convinced the president, Paul von Hindenburg, to name Hitler chancellor of Germany. Because uh, for these uh, traditional conservatives, the Nazis were, they were uncouth, low-class, you know, kind of brutes, dis undisciplined. Yet, uh, these same conservatives made a political bargain with the Nazi party because of their popular appeal. You know, make a deal with the devil. Give them a little power so they don't want to try for more. When does, when does that ever work? Well, General Hindenburg, he remained popular in Germany and beat Hitler in the presidential race despite losing the war because he had shifted the blame for Germany's defeat away from the military and himself, pushing propaganda that Germany had been betrayed by, at home by socialists and the Jews. So it wasn't just Hitler. Like, this is the thing a lot of people are saying. You know, it's, 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 again, unfortunately, this small minority of people, they're just getting fucking blamed for everything. Uh, and that they were the only reason Germany, you know, had to settle for peace. This attitude towards the Jews is partly uh, why later Hindenburg would do so little to stop Hitler's uh, new legislation, new anti-Semitic legislation. So the blame game on the Jews, you know, it's all propaganda. It's a dirty, nasty lie. Hitler pushed it uh, further in his speeches to, gr to great effect. Traditional conservatives, including Hindenburg, uh, uh, found the rhetoric highly appealing. You know, the, the traditional conservatives themselves were by and large uh, anti-Semites, uh, anti Semitic as well. Uh, in the Weimar period, this is Weimar Republic, they tended not to share the murderous tendencies of the Nazis, though that would later change in the Third Reich, but they, did, but they didn't like the Jews, and they thought the Jewish presence in German uh, public life, uh, they found it overbearing, distasteful. Germany, in the common view of conservatives, uh, faced a flood of foreigners, Jewish people in particular, who exercised uh, degenerative influence on the German people and the German society, the, quote, Jewish spirits, the, quote, Jewish threat to the national character, quote, the degenerative Jewish race, Jews as the embodiment of financial capital as opposed to productive German capital. All this marked the language that joined the traditional as well uh, as the radical right. So this attitude brings up another psychological phenomena that worked uh, against the German Jews. People don't like change, right? Think about white America's pushback uh, right now on Mexicans and Muslims. You know, Mexicans have just as much right to immigrate here as the rest of us, you know? We're all descendants of immigrants, all of us, not even Native Americans can bitch about Mexicans. They immigrated here too, right? Everyone, you, you go back far enough, you can trace your path back to immigrants. And Muslims, they're not any worse than Christians or Jews or any other religious group. That's such fucking nonsense. Do they have violence and extremism written into their religion? Yeah, they do. But you know what? So does the Bible. So does the Torah. 
Read a little Leviticus, you know, get familiar with your own books. Leviticus 29, quote, For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. You fucking hear that? Rude kids should be killed. That's the Bible. That's the Torah. So the next time you hear some argument against Islam, just realize it's bullshit. Yes, extremists suck, and not in a good way, not in a time-suck way. Uh, jihadists are misguided pieces of shit, big time. But I don't think that's uh, why there's so much anti-Muslim rhetoric. I think most people, most white Americans, they just don't like it because they're different, you know? They're not wearing fucking trucker hats. They're wearing turban hats that look fucking weird to us. We're not used to them. And people don't like different. People don't like their neighborhood changing. They don't, they don't like names like Patty and John being replaced with names like Habib and Muhammad. Eh, it's human nature, man. Uh, so back to Germany. On the one side, you got the Germans supposedly uh, rooted in place, exemplars of moral rectitude, intelligent and productive. Uh, across the divide, beyond the pale were Jews, lacking a state of their own. They were everywhere and nowhere, predators and exploiters who despoiled Aryans. This is all this propaganda that's floating around, cartoons and all kinds of stuff against them. Uh, the ultimate sin, which Nazis propagated so effectively, was uh, to associate Jews and communism, which, again, had no bearing in reality. So now, in 1933... As I just said earlier, Hitler is chancellor. Let's explain what that means, okay? Uh, prior to World War I, the new German state uh, was a monarchy. The reign of its last king, or Kaiser, was Wilhelm II, and it ended with the end of World War I. They throw a new constitution together pretty quick, get it signed in 1919, and so now they're a representative democracy. They have a parliamentary system of government. They have a president, uh, you know, elected president, the World War I general, uh, Hindenburg, and he's responsible to Parliament, similar to how a president is beholden to Congress and the Senate in the U.S. Unlike the U.S., though, the German Parliament was composed of a shit ton of different political parties in the wake of World War I. The Nazis were one of just many. Uh, and this was no good, because if you think watching the Democrats and Republicans not get along is frustrating, that it bogs things down. Imagine watching 40 different groups not get along. That's how many there were, 40. And it gets worse. Germany also has a chancellor, a position similar to, to Britain's prime minister a politician who is beholden to both the president and to parliament, like to the, you know, to the Congress. And the chancellor can be replaced by the president, who can issue emergency decrees and bypass the parliament whenever he wants to, but he also tends to be kind of hands-off. He lets the chancellor basically run things, like be his, the administrator on his behalf. It's a very overcomplicated, unnecessary, and ridiculous system. There was also vice chancellors, tons of other redundant titles, just typical political bullshit. You know, it's like <laughs> governments love creating more government. Don't they? Just get more people who couldn't hack it in the private sector a fucking paycheck. Okay, so in the wake of demilitarization, uh, different paramilitary organizations are springing up, kind of like the, the Versailles demilitar uh, demilitarization decree kind of loophole. Think of them like volunteer militias. Uh, and these different militias would be beholden to different leaders because you have like the stormtroopers uh, led by Nazi party member Ernest Ruhm. Uh, I think I said Rom earlier, Ernest Ruhm. They were the party's paramilitary branch. Uh, eventually, Hitler and Rome would become rivals, and the stormtroopers uh, would go away and be replaced by the SS. The SS uh, started off as Hitler's personal bodyguard detachment, kind of like the Secret Service in the U.S. Uh, they evolved to become a full-fledged military branch in and of themselves. Uh, the Gestapo, that was the secret police, another paramilitary-slash-police branch of the Nazi uh, party, eventually led by Henrik Himmler who terrorized citizens, rounding up and disposing of anyone considered a threat to Germany, to the Nazis, uh, creating an atmosphere of constant fear, everyone looking over their shoulder, neighbors ratting out neighbors for nothing, so they didn't get ratted out first for nothing. 
And then you got the German military. You still have a, a, a German army uh, loyal to the president, a force that refused to completely go away despite the Versailles Treaty. And there was other uh, factions, uh, quite a few. There was other groups loyal to other political parties. Remember, there's 40 parties. A lot of them have their own little militia, like the Iron Front, the Battle League, the Steel Helmet. They're fucking floating around Germany. So how did Hitler and the Nazis go from one of these little political parties floating around to controlling Germany? How did Hitler go from chancellor to Fuhrer? That explanation calls for a Time Stuff timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck timeline. Nineteen thirty-two, in November nineteen thirty-two, Hitler is named chancellor for reasons I've already described. He takes office in early nineteen thirty-three and escalates the anti-Semitic rhetoric he's been spewing around Germany since around nineteen nineteen. Like here's a here's a quote from a speech he gave way back in nineteen twenty. The overall theme being getting out from under the sanctions of the Versailles Treaty and that the Jews are the problem. Quote for us, it is a problem of whether our nation can ever recover its health, whether the Jewish spirit can ever really be eradicated. Don't be misled into thinking you can fight a disease without killing the carrier, without destroying the bacillus. Don't think you can fight racial, racial tuberculosis without taking care to rid the nation of the carrier of that racial tuberculosis. This Jewish contamination will not subside. This poisoning of the nation will not end until the carrier himself, the Jew, has been banished from our midst. I mean, fuck, wow. So it's, his speeches, you know, uh, early on, the, the, you know, people should have known this guy was a fucking nut. But, you know, culturally, the, the, the Jewish people are not well-loved. So that's, that's one of the major reasons he wasn't stopped. 1933 interview. Here's an excerpt uh, interview he gave to a German-American magazine in 1933. Why does the world shed crocodile's tears over the richly merited fate of a small Jewish minority? I ask Roosevelt. I ask the American people. Are you prepared to receive in your midst these well-poisoners of the German people and the universal spirit of Christianity? We would willingly give every one of, every one of them a free steamer ticket and a thousand-mark note for traveling expenses if we could get rid of them. Holy shit. And, and, and make note of that reference to the well-poisoner, right? That's from the medieval anti-Semitism. So clearly anti-Semitic attitudes have been prevalent in Germany for a long, long time. They, didn't, they never faded away. In 1933, anti-Semitic legislation. Hitler doesn't waste time upon appointment as chancellor to start pushing an anti-Semitic agenda and also get a stranglehold over German politics. You know, following the appointment of Adolf Hitler as chancellor on January 30th, 1933, the leaders of the new government, a coalition of Nazis and German nationalists, moved quickly to, to suspend basic civil rights for all Germans. After a suspicious fire in the Reichstag, uh, the German parliament, on February 28, 1933, the government claims falsely that the fire was a signal for a communist effort to overthrow the state. It proclaims a state of emergency in a decree that suspends constitutional civil rights and enables Hitler to decree further legislation without parliamentary confirmation. So now Hitler has incredible leeway as chancellor to pass whatever laws he fucking basically wants to. And just like that, Boom, the Third Reich is born, the reign of the Nazis. March 31st, 1933, the decree of Berlin, city commissioner for health, suspends Jewish doctors from city's charity services. April 1st, 1933, the stormtroopers initiated a campaign to encourage boycott of Jewish-owned businesses. Across Germany, small Jewish stores were daubed uh, with stars of David or painted with slogans like, don't buy from the Jews. Holy shit. Stormtroopers lingered menacingly outside larger businesses owned by the Jews, including department stores, cinemas, banks, 
Uh, there were several instances of Jews being assaulted on property. Uh, they're having their property destroyed. This boycott was reported as being the work of the stormtroopers rather than the Nazi government. Nevertheless, the government did very little to halt or restrain it. April 7, right, same year, law for the reestablishment of the professional civil service removes Jews from government service. Also on April 7th, 1933, law on the admission to the legal profession forbids the admission of Jews to the bar. April 25th, law against overcrowding in schools and universities limits the number of Jewish students in public schools. July 14th, denaturalization law revokes the citizenship of naturalized Jews and undesirables. That's a quote. That's not me saying that. October 4th, uh, law on editors bans Jews from editorial posts. I mean, at the national level, the Nazi government revoked uh, the licenses of Jewish tax consultants, imposed a 1.5% quota on admissions of non-Aryans to public schools and universities, fires uh, Jewish civilian workers from the army. 1934 uh, forbids Jewish actors to perform on the stage or screen. I mean, local governments are also issuing regulations that affect other spheres of Jewish life, like in Saxony, uh, the Jews can no longer slaughter animals according to r ritual purity requirements. So, you know, preventing them from obeying Jewish dietary laws. Stormtroopers, SS soldiers randomly begin to attack Jewish citizens. Nothing's done to stop it. People began disappearing to concentration camps. They weren't the de death factories they'd soon become, but people did get killed. And why weren't Aryans uh, friends of these Jews defending them? You know, well, partly because laws were passed also that made political dissent illegal. You could literally be thrown into a concentration camp for criticizing the government and executed without a trial. That, that was in the 30s. You know, standing up for a Jewish citizen constituted criticism of the government. There was a huge propaganda movement, very much a you are with us or against us movement. That's why I, I never liked when fucking George, you know, W would throw that phrase around. You know, you're either with us or against us. Nah, that's some, again, that's dictator language, man. Fucking calm down on that shit. Nazi emblems, uh, were thrown around all public buildings and then soon private buildings as well. If you weren't waving the Nazi flag, you were an enemy. And I read about numerous accounts of stormtroopers marching down the street and just beating people who either uh, looked Jewish or, or didn't salute them. You just get beat for not giving them the fucking Heil Hitler. Uh, constant speeches about those who aren't in favor of New Germany's policies or enemies of the state. Uh, there's speeches about how they should be limited. And a lot of Germans don't seem to mind because their lives aren't directly impacted by any of this. Remember, over 99% of the population is not Jewish. Also, when Jewish opportunities and jobs are taken away, Aryan Germans benefit. They get those positions now. So uh, late 1933 uh, and late 1933, marriage between Jews and Aryans wasn't yet illegal, but strongly discouraged by the Nazis. In the fantastic Eric Larson book about Germany in 1933 and 1934 in The Garden of Beasts, Martha Dodd, daughter of America's ambassador to Germany at the time, witnessed a scene in Nuremberg where stormtroopers were uh, parading a woman, young woman down the middle of the street, broad daylight. They'd shaven her head, covered her face in powder to make her look like some sick clown, and they hung a sign around her neck saying, quote, I gave it up for a Jew. Her crime? Being engaged to a Jewish man in Germany in 1933. She cried as she was being pushed along, and the crowd just laughed. Bartender later told Martha Dodd that the woman had simply been taught a lesson. I mean, that's the fucking cultural attitude going on. And part of that is because a lot of propaganda is being shoved down their throats. Before the German people themselves seem too overly complicit in all of this, I should also mention the Reich Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda. Founded on March 14, 1933, it was led by Nazi Party member Joseph Goebbels, and Goebbels used it to, to control all the German news, media, literature, visual arts, filmmaking, theater, music, and broadcasting. When a woman was dragged to the streets, like I just mentioned, it didn't make the papers. Didn't make the news, didn't catch the attention of the outside world either. Hitler completely controlled the media. He controlled the narrative of Germany. 
Knowing this makes me cringe when I hear Trump refer to the media in general as fake news or when he tweets about wishing he could pull SNL off the air. Now, now look, if you're getting all fired up right now, I don't think Trump is Hitler. I really don't. But the best way for a dictator or a dictatorship to rule how they see fit is to control the media. That's fucking terrifying. Anyone who even talks about wanting to do that. You know, make it seem like no one's speaking up against him. You know, can't take criticism. And Hitler had that kind of control back in 1933. And between that and the whisperings that people who did speak up against him disappeared, killed for, quote, resisting arrest, uh, they were killed by the Gestapo or sent to a concentration camp for being a political dissident, Hitler was able to make it appear as though the whole nation was with him, which they actually weren't. There was one really cool thing I read that was, you know, made me uh, think very highly of some of the German people to be brave enough to applaud this at this time. There was a man, uh, 1934, uh, Franz von Papen. Now, now he was the vice chancellor, so he was like, you know, the vice president to whatever <laughs> Hitler's presidency, even though there was a president above them. Again, fucking weird political system. But on June 17th, 1933, uh, he's had enough of Hitler, and he gives a speech at the University of Marburg, and he says, regarding Hitler's ruthless control over every aspect of government, quote, the government is well aware of the selfishness, the lack of principle, the insecurity, the uh, unchivalrous behavior, the arrogance, which is on the increase under the guise of the German Revolution, end quote. Now, the speech was met with thunderous applause, clearly showing that a lot of people were afraid to stand up to Hitler but wanted to do so if given the opportunity. But the speech doesn't make it out to the general population, doesn't make it past this college audience because Hitler's propaganda minister blocks publication. Papen then threatens to tell President Hindenburg himself that Hitler had silenced him, had overstepped his bounds as chancellor, and Hindenburg was the one man who could still remove Hitler from power, like the only dude. Uh, a man who had curiously stood by and allowed Hitler to do everything he'd done at this point, but again, he's anti-Semitic himself, and dude's 86 years old and suffering from lung cancer. He doesn't want to fucking bother with the whole Hitler situation. He wants to, I don't know, have a little bit more sauerkraut and sausage and, and fucking die in a mansion or something. Well, Papen never gets a chance to rat out Hitler to Hindenburg anyway, which he told Hitler he was going to do. Uh, Hitler had Papen seized by Goring, the man who had founded the Gestapo, and then Hitler enacted a purge against all political rivals on June 30th. Between June 30th and July 2nd, 1934, a, a purge that became known as the Night of the Long Knives, Gestapo and SS forces kill Stormtrooper Looter Room, uh, Stormtrooper Leader Room, uh, many of Papen's associates, various other Nazi party higher-ups who either were considered to be against Hitler or considered to be hungry for his power. At least 85 people are killed in an official estimate. Unofficially, the number is thought to be closer to 800. And then Hitler spins this whole thing uh, to President Hindenburg as he tried to stop a coup. He did a brave thing. And then uh, he doesn't want to kill, uh, for some reason, nobody really knows fully why, Papen. Uh, and he sends Papen to Austria to redeem himself by helping the party manipulate the Austrian government. And then on August 1st, Hitler uh, gets word that Hindenburg was on his deathbed. He, uh, he has the cabinet pass the, quote, law concerning the highest state office of the Reich, uh, which stipulated that upon Hindenburg's death, the offices of president and chancellor would be merged under the title of leader and chancellor, the Fuhrer. And then no one could stop him. And no one challenges this because they know to challenge him now is certain death after the Night of the Long Knives. So 1935. In 1935, with Hindenburg out of the way, the government now is totally under Hitler's control. Hitler says, fuck it, I'm going full Fuhrer. Uh, until this point, he's been hiding the militarization of Germany uh, from the rest of Europe you know, because it's a brazen violation of the Versailles Treaty. Uh, he's been hiding them under the guise of paramilitary, you know, militia-type groups, like I said. Uh, he's been using his control of the media to claim he seeks only peace internationally. 
But then in March 1935, he begins a mandatory conscription of German men into the military. He starts a draft, essentially, a direct violation of the treaty. Uh, he's no longer going to hide the power of the Third Reich. In May 1935, he bans non-Aryans from military service. In September, he passes the Nuremberg Laws, a series of more severe anti-Semitic laws. The first uh, deprived Jews of citizenship. The second made marriage to or sexual relations with a Jewish person illegal. Other laws prohibited Jewish people from working in the homes of Aryans. It was illegal now for a Jew to hold a German flag. Fuck. And so on and so on. Basically, the first few couple hundred thousand uh, Jewish people not fortunate enough to flee Germany by this point had lost all their rights. 1936, Germany takes back the land they lost to France in the Treaty of Versailles. Remember that? They annexed the Rhineland back into Germany. By 1938, Jewish children won't even be allowed to, uh, to go to school at all. By 1939, Hitler's giving speeches stating very directly, publicly, not trying to hide this with uh, his propaganda minister, that he wants to wipe the Jewish race from the entire fucking planet. And then in September 1939, Germany invades Poland and officially starts World War II. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. So there you have it, time suckers. That is how the Third Reich came to be. And they reigned until May 8, 1945, V-Day, when the Nazis surrendered unconditionally to Allied forces in World War II. Pre-existing anti-Semitic attitudes created the perfect scapegoat for a prideful nation hungry for power who had just had their ass kicked and their economy destroyed. Hitler stepped in the situation, made the German people feel strong again. Unfortunately, he did it by making, uh, you know, uh, the German people believe that everyone else is weak. Everyone else was unworthy, untrustworthy. They were the reason Germany was suffering. And Germans would have their revenge. And if anyone uh, didn't like that message, they were suppressed or eliminated. I always wondered why America didn't step in sooner to stop Hitler. Um, we had an ambassador over there, Ambassador Dodd, uh, reporting on all the stuff that was going on in 1933, 1934. We knew. We knew exactly what he was doing. But it was during the Great Depression. America was a lot more concerned with saving its own ass than helping the Jewish people. And we just finished uh, fighting a war that cost millions of lives. And being totally honest, we were fucking super racist. We were, we were super anti-Semitic. Are you kidding me? The same anti-Jewish sentiments from Europe had colonized America uh, for all the same reasons already laid out. Like, think about America in the 1930s. We weren't letting African Americans vote. We were stopping them from voting. Uh, we weren't standing up for them with lynchings in the South. There was segregation. Why the fuck are we going to help out somebody else being segregated? Why are we going to help the European Jews out? We're not helping the African Americans at home. I mean, we, we weren't practicing racial equality ourselves. We're not going to defend it somewhere else. Now, to take this episode back to the beginning, do I think Trump is Hitler-esque? A little. A little. He loves, he loves shouting a simple message. He loves blaming others for our problems, you know? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but erecting a wall and kicking out Muslims and Mexicans, that's not going to get your factory job back. That ship fucking sailed, right? That era is over. He also despises the media for reporting fake news when in reality they're just scrutinizing him like they do every president. Uh, he makes himself an easier target than most politicians, says a lot of stupid shit, and then gets mad when people point it out. You know, stop fucking tweeting, buddy. He's a power-hungry narcissist. Now, now do I think uh, he would throw political opponents in jail like Hitler if, if he could? Uh, yeah, I do. Would he, would he control the media like Nazis if he could? Fuck, yeah, of course he would. But luckily it's not the 1930s. All right, information's a lot harder to suppress, secrets are a lot harder to hide, and we have a better system of government than Germany did, Germany did in 1933. It's more established, more balanced, no president can just uh, run shit past the Senate and Congress all willy-nilly. We have a Supreme Court, uh, so for you alarmists out there, calm the fuck down, Trump's not going to be Hitler or any other type of dictator. 
It's not going to happen, but it is good to know what red flags to look for, isn't it? And even if you love Trump, I hope you're not butthurt right now. Don't be a bitch about it. You know, the most important thing you can do in a free country is disagree. I've always believed that. All those people who say, oh, it never fucking stops pissing me off. Well, if you don't love it, why don't you leave? If you don't like it, why don't you get out? No, you're the kind of person that needs to get the fuck out. If you just want to agree with the government, move to North Korea, you simple-minded dipshit. Dictators love some foolish ass who always agrees with the majority. No, the duty of a citizen of a free nation is to constantly scrutinize the government. Keep it in check. This country was built on revolution, in case you fucking forgot. Always be a little distrustful of it. Faith that it's always going to be okay is how you end up in a cult or how you end up having a Hitler for a ruler. Turning a blind eye, it's never a good plan with government. I was reminded of a lot of this, putting this Time Suck episode together. Keep an eye on the government. Don't be afraid to speak up for what you believe in. Don't be afraid to protest. Don't be afraid to march. Don't be afraid to disagree with others. You know, even if they're the majority, especially if they're majority. Don't think of people in terms of a group. Remember, they're individuals. Some Muslims are terrorists, you know, for example, most of which, most of them are not. That's, that's stats. You can't fight that. Uh, well, I hope you got something more just uh, than trivia out of this one. I know it wasn't the, uh, the funniest time suck, but man, heavy subject. But I, I, I really feel more enriched researching this than I have about any other time suck. So I, I hope you got something out of it as well. And uh, now it's time, time suckers. It's time for some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Germans love a war. Holy shit, do they love a war. <laughs> Rightly or wrongly, they were blamed for World War I, uh, and they were definitely uh, uh, blamed for World War II, totally correctly. You know, we've had two world wars, and they caused both of them. One country caused both of them. But they also gave us, uh, many of us, our language. And they invented aspirin, cocaine. That's right. The fucking German chemist came up with how to get the cocaine powder going. Uh, the binary number system used in computer coding. The automobile. The harmonica. Huh? You couldn't have a coked up John Popper fucking playing blues traveler. It wasn't for the Germans. So, you know, not all bad. I, I have no idea, by the way, if John Popper uh, snorted coke. Number two. Careful how you judge another group of people. Just because they don't talk, dress, or worship like you do doesn't mean they're bad or a threat. Don't beat yourself up about it. It's human nature to do that. But left unchecked, it can grow and has grown into genocide. Number three, stormtroopers were originally the paramilitary branch of the Nazis. And here all these years, I just thought they were the evil empire's foot soldiers in the Star Wars franchise. I had no idea that that was a Nazi reference. I wonder if there's another Nazi uh, uh, reference in those movies or, or maybe multiple you know, is Darth Vader Hitler? Is the Emperor Hitler? Is the Federation the Jews? Are the Ewoks the Jews? I don't know. A lot of questions. Not very many answers. Number four. When Adolf Hitler kicked off the Third Reich, it was King Charlemagne who kicked off the First Reich. Uh, I had no idea what a Reich was before this episode. A realm. King Charlemagne has nothing to do, by the way, with the DJ and uh, MTV guy code dude, Charlemagne the God. You ever heard of that guy? His real name is Leonard McKelvey. Man, talk about, talk about taking your name to the next level. From Leonard to Charlemagne the God. Uh, I don't know really anything about that guy other than uh, he's very successful. He has a lot of Twitter followers uh, despite having maybe the most pretentious name I've ever heard somebody give themselves, which, which makes me sad for our culture that somebody who seems to be that big of a douche is very popular. And number five, Trump is no Hitler. Don't kid yourself into thinking things are going to get that bad. They won't. They will not. But if you don't like what he's doing, then protest. Again, nothing is more American than a protest. And if you don't like protesters, go fuck yourself, you anti-American fake patriot. 
Again, this country was built on protest. Also, Trump uh, uh, doesn't have a thick mustache. And if he did grow one and he started doing the whole Heil uh, Hitler stiff arm thing, all that would happen uh, from that is Alec Baldwin getting like 10 more uh, good sketches out of SNL. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. I, I hope uh, that was a good bonus episode for you. And uh, happy to say we're already well on our way to the next bonus episode, which is going to drop, uh, you know, the Friday after there's 400 iTunes reviews. Thank you so much to everyone who's already rated and subscribed. You're the best around. No one's ever going to take you down. I don't even know if that's the right word for that song. I don't even know what that song is. But it just fucking came into my head like a missile. The next bonus episode is going to be about Scientology. Let's piss off some Scientologists. Let's get me some death threats. Uh, let's get into some L. Ron Hubbard. Get into getting clear. Get into some Tom Cruise talking some crazy talk. Oh, yes, sir. That one's going to be a funny one. Oh, that was going to be a lot of inappropriate jokes in the Scientology one. Uh, if you're a Scientologist, yeah, you may as well stop listening to the podcast now because you're not going to fucking like it. Well, that's it. That is it. Uh, and if you're listening right when this is dropped, have a good weekend. If not, have a good week. Have a good whatever day it is. Also, some tour dates. I'll be at Hyenas in Dallas, March 16 and 18, and 17. I don't know why I skipped 17. Uh, March 16 through the 18th. Uh, Jacksonville, uh, in the Jacksonville, Florida Comedy Club in Jacksonville, Florida. March 23rd through 25th. I'll be at Hilarities in Cleveland, April 14th through 16th. Full tour calendar available at dancummins.tv and more podcast episodes and link to the tour calendar. Uh, info about the episodes at timesuckpodcast.com. Keep on sucking. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep? Read a book? Play Fortnite? Call your mom? Take judo lessons? finally watch all the episodes of Shameless? A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeZuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeZuck.